All right, everyone, welcome back. This is Ryan Selkis, and you're listening to Masari's Unqualified Opinions, where each week I interview crypto's top builders, investors, and personalities to discuss the key trends in the industry. You can discover more about Masari at masari.io. But for now, let's get right into the episode. It's going to be a good one. Save money this tax season with Luca Tax, the only tested crypto tax software. Luca's listened to your feedback. Now you can calculate capital gains and see the results using three different accounting methods side by side, all for free. You only pay if you want to access their detailed tax reports. Luca supports unlimited transaction uploads from all major exchanges and wallets and helps optimize your tax reporting so you can max out this year's refund. Luca Tax wants to help Masari's unqualified opinions listeners save even more this year. So use promo code Masari Tax and you'll get $5 off the normal price of $39.95 when downloading today. Go to L-U-K-K-A-T-A-X.com and save money this tax season. Have you seen what the Crypto.com team's been up to lately? Talking about the MCO Visa card. It's a beautiful metal card you can top up with crypto and spend anywhere Visa's accepted. You get up to 5% back on all your spending, plus 100% rebates on Spotify, Netflix, and now Amazon Prime Travel. How about unlimited airport lounge access and interbank exchange rates? So many perks in just one card. You can download the Crypto.com app and reserve yours today. This podcast is presented by BlockWorks Group, one of the top blockchain events and media production companies I've worked with. For exclusive content and events that could help you with insight into the crypto and blockchain space, check them out at blockworksgroup.io and you will not be disappointed. All right, everyone. Welcome back to Masari's Unqualified Opinions. I'm Ryan Selkis at 2BitIdiot from the Citadel, week four. Got a very special guest today, uh, Ray Youssef, who's the co-founder and CEO of Paxful, a peer-to-peer Bitcoin-powered exchange, done a lot of work in emerging markets, had a phenomenal 2019 before everything went haywire in the global economy, Uh, but they've continued to ship. And uh, excited to have a, a conversation where we dig into the details of the Paxful platform, uh, their ongoing collaboration with Binance, the, the staggering uh, trading volume that they've uh, been able to generate on a peer-to-peer basis. I know a lot of people think about uh, DEX volumes and, and peer-to-peer volumes as being relatively low compared to centralized exchanges, but we're going to dig into whether or not that's true in emerging markets in particular. Um, a lot of ground that we can cover in this conversation. I've been excited for it for a while. Uh, but Ray, before we get into the, the macro news of the coronavirus and you know how it's impacting you guys or anything related to the platform, let's just start super basic. It's always helpful to get the person on the other end of the phone, um, their background and origin story, how you fell down the Bitcoin rabbit hole. Well, my name is Ray, and I was born in Egypt. I grew up in New York, and my parents went to America for a better life when I was two years old, so I'm a first-generation immigrant. Technically, we grew up in New York City in the 80s and 90s. It's uh, surreal, rough, whatever you want to call it. It was uh, very different in New York from what you see today. And I learned how to work uh, in my parents' newsstand right in Columbus Circle. You know, Jay-Z's got a penthouse there. When I was growing up there, it was a little different. So I always learned how to do business uh, on the street with real people. And I've kept those lessons with me for a long time. I've had about uh, Axwell's like my 14th startup right now. My first two were very successful. Then I had 11 failures in a row. Very hard time in my life. Ended up homeless in New York. And then I met uh, Artur. Actually, I became homeless uh, before, after I met my co-founder in New York City. And I met him at the first Bitcoin meetup that I went to, right? I heard about this Bitcoin thing. And at first I dismissed it. Oh, this is just nerd money, a bunch of cyberpunks playing game again, you know, games again. It's not a not shadow run, right? But then I kept hearing about how we could help people, you know, with remittances. That was a big dialogue. But to me, what struck me about it was that it could actually help the little guy. And Artur and I really bonded over that, over the fact that this thing could actually be useful to help people that, that really need help, the invisible people. You know, there's four to six billion invisible humans on this planet and Bitcoin can help them. And that's what Paxwell has been doing. Happy to get into a lot of examples for you. Excellent. Um, so you started the company in 20, 2017, 2018. Uh, it's been a couple of years. When was? Yeah, it's been five years almost. Yeah, 2015. 
2015. Okay. Yeah. Um, so uh, decentralized exchange has uh, come quite a long way. What was what was the initial positioning of Paxful relative to local bitcoins, and then you know some of the emerging DEX uh, platforms that uh, came much later in, in I think mid 2017 was probably the earliest with Ether Delta, and then Zero X and, and some of the other uh, DEX plus relayers on Ethereum. Um, where, uh, where, where do you see yourselves today and, and kind of how did you fit in early on? Well, I wish I had a fancy answer for you, but uh, there really was no original positioning when Taxel first started out. I, I was literally homeless at the time and our tour managed to get him a place with my best friend uh, on his couch, but me and him alternated back and forth. So it was getting real hard for us. And then a friend of mine came up to me and was like, Hey, you know, you can make money selling Bitcoin, right? Mm -hmm. like, selling Bitcoin for what? It's like you can sell Bitcoin people and you can get gift cards and you can make 50% profit. I was like, what? He's like, yeah, you can sell 250 bucks worth of Bitcoin and get a $500 PayPal my cash gift card. And I said, oh man, that's a scam for sure, man. What are you doing? He's like, no, I do it all the time. Like I, I was desperate, right? I was homeless. So I was like, okay, mm -hmm. I'll try. <laughs> kind of like we're all kind of desperate right now, locked up in our homes, <laughs> trying new things. It's one of the best things about times like this. So I tried it and it worked. And all, me and our tour scaled it up. And we were doing these trades on uh, Bitcoin Talk. We we're doing our WhatsApp. We we're doing our local Bitcoins. And we're like, hey, man, let's, Let's build out a platform for this. Let's streamline this. This is this is a, like the, a perfect way to bank the you know the unbanked people, get people into Bitcoin. It was the reason our first startup failed. It was a POS. Uh, it was a POS for retail Bitcoin merchants to accept Bitcoin. The problem was no one had any Bitcoin, right? So we started Paxful. We built it out uh, via like a, a more streamlined, simplified version of, of local Bitcoin, specifically focused on real use cases. And we started off with gift cards because that's something that worked and we understood. And then the journey continued from there. Uh, to make it short, um, you guys have heard of the Backpage effect, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know if that, but that was like the first time the mainstream actually had to come to Bitcoin. And it was a really interesting time because uh, I'll tell you how it started. I was in a Soho. You know, we work um, with my co-founder. It was like two o'clock in the morning or something like that. And I get this frantic call on my phone, my cell phone. Who are you? How did you get my call? She was yelling, screaming, crying. I'm down to my last $13 and I need this uh, Biggie Con. She called it. So she, she needed the Biggie Con. I'm like, oh, uh, how did you get my number? It was on my website. No one ever called. She called. This poor lady had spent the past eight hours trying to find her Biggie Con online and she couldn't she just kept getting the run around everywhere so i dig deeper it turns out she has no bank account she went to coinbase went to all the other sites but she couldn't couldn't buy anything but she didn't have a bank account at all right and they wouldn't accept her a credit card from her so i asked her okay how are you buying stuff before if you didn't have a bank account and she said well i just go buy these gift cards one vanilla visa gift cards from the drugstore and that's why i was like okay i can help this person and after I hung up with her, and by the way, the call was two hours long. I walked mm -hmm. every step of the way, getting her first Bitcoin, walked, told her to go to the gift card store, get these guys, got a vendor to get the gift cards, sell them on Paxful. And then I walked her step by step through actually sending her first Bitcoin. That's extremely difficult. Imagine trying to teach like a non-techie, middle-aged lady who has a smartphone, how to copy and paste a long, freaky password from hell, like a Bitcoin address, and then make a payment. It's a nightmare. Especially, especially, over, especially over the phone versus Zoom. Exactly. It, it's hell. It's hell. You don't know how and I did that, not just once, but literally maybe thousands of times. For mm -hmm. six months, I was on the phone with these people every step of the way. These are people that everyone ignored. No one wanted to sell 10 bucks worth of Bitcoin. I sold her like 10 bucks worth of Bitcoin. Right. Mm -hmm. No one wants to sell someone ten bucks with a Bitcoin and do two hours support, make their one percent profit. So these people were completely ignored by the Bitcoins. I didn't ignore them. I talked to them. It was hell, but it helped us redo the entire site specifically focused for real human beings, right? Because as I was on the phone with them, I was right behind their shoulder. Anyway, it was immensely valuable, but because we could service the unbanked in America, those 40 million invisible humans in the United States, that's why the peoples of Africa and the entire emerging world came to us before anyone else because we made it simple. We understood them. We talked to them. That's all I have to say about that. But if you want to know what Paxful is now, 
we finally figured well, it out. Well, yeah, let's, yeah, well, well I, I think the origin story is, is so cool. So we'll get to where Paxful is now, but there's so many good nuggets and, and, and anecdotes, yeah. I think, in the early, uh, in the early days. Um, one of the things that, that strikes me, um, you know, I was gainfully employed in 2015, right? Uh, so I was in the industry full-time since 2013, but I was at Digital Currency Group. I was collecting a, a paycheck, a salary. So I was there during the bear market of 2015. It was fucking brutal, right? Um, you were in a decidedly different situation. Not only was it a an insane bear market kind of winter scenario that, that you you know first entered, but um, you were kind of outside the mainstream focus of of you know, picks and shovels exchange and speculative services say, um, and uh, and you know being homeless. I'd imagine this was not something that you could take a venture style bet on. It was. I need to make these illiquid markets now so that I can make some margins, so that I can make some profits, so that I can pay myself, and then maybe scale out from there. Um, so, what was that process like um, for you? And 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 you know, can you talk a little bit more about the margin uh, and and kind of early um, focus on? the gift card market in particular, how you were able to make that successfully and, and then ultimately scale it up to something sustainable? It's a great question. And uh, I can answer that by the Paxful values. We have three values at Paxful and me and my co-founder really embodied these values. These are the values that got us to where we are. They truly did. We only have three, not 11 like some companies do. And the first one is very simple and it's the most important. And it's where almost every single corporation business fails. It's to number one, to stay connected to the streets. Stay connected to, do not know your customer that no, stay connected to the street. The street is everything, especially in the money business, right? Me and my co-founder, we were completely, you know, we talked to everyone. We were constantly involved in every little thing. Even today, I do customer support like five times a week. Actually, seven uh, seven days a week, 24 hours, I'm answering emails, I'm answering uh, Telegram chats, WhatsApp chats, even Instagram, Twitter, everything, right? Why? Because I want to know what people need. I want to know the problems that people have, and that is the key to entrepreneurship. What problem does someone have? How bad is the problem? If you have it, great. Solve it for yourself. Others will need help, too. Arturo and I focused on a very small community that needed help the most, which was these poor ladies that couldn't even use a smartphone, but they didn't know anything. BiggieCon, Bitcoin, like they had no idea what Bitcoin even was, right? Those are the people we focused on and we focused everything on serving them. And from there, everything has grown. Paxful, I'm convinced, will be the most like valuable company in the world one day. Why? Above all, was me and my co-founder and now the entire company, we stay connected to the street and that's what gets you to greatness and that's what keeps you great. The second value that we have is that we build for people right? This is a big thing uh, in crypto. There are very few product people around, right? Everyone thinks about the technology and, and uh, the decentralization and no, no real people give a damn about any of that at all. I don't even like using the word decentralized. Permissionless makes a lot more sense. These are all other, these things are technical terms. It's not about that. It's about building things for people, right? Building products for people. We're product guys. Time does not move unless you're building or iterating on product. And that goes for every single startup in the world and also, and especially for crypto. And that's something the crypto people have to get with. It's all about product. It's all about product. And you can't create good product unless you're connected to the streets because you're building this for humans. Paxful is not an abstract mechanism. It's a tool made for real human beings to use so humans can help other humans. Paxful is a people-powered marketplace for money transfers for anyone, anywhere, at any time. That's the one sentence. That's what Paxful is. And our third value is to be a hero. Right, we like that here. It's all about not waiting for permission. That's the greatest thing about crypto, right? And heroes don't wait for permission too. We're in the money business, but really we're in the hero business. Is at any point in time in this world, something can happen. It all it takes is one geopolitical event to turn everything upside down. I mean, look what happened in Venezuela. There were families that lost their entire life savings in a week. Look what's happening in Lebanon right now. Look what's happening all over the world right now. Nothing. The, the, the throbs of the world, the currents of the world are, are not any, anywhere more sensitively felt than in money, right? So if you're in this business, you have to be able to turn on a dime. You have to love putting out fires. And that's what I love about this company is that it's not about how much money you make or how big you are or even how great your product is. 
It's about what do you do? How do you mobilize to help your people, your pe- your people, I mean customers or users, I don't like those words, to help our people. I'll give you mm-hmm. an example. This one Nigerian uh, co- in the, uh, co- uh, mobile company went down, right? Their interface went down. No one could get SMS messages. 36,000 Nigerians were actually affected by this, right? And they were suffering. They couldn't access their funds. They were going nuts on Twitter. And I was like, man, these poor people, how can we help them? So we marshaled right away within an hour. We had uh, the SMS two-factor code sent to the mobile app, right? I was, it's a really small, silly example. But in most companies, if that happens, most companies would just ignore that person, like this one Muslim Nigerian lady, I, I followed her and I talked to her personally and she was really needed help. And we actually helped her within an hour. I'm so proud of that. And that's what it takes. Those three values that, you know, that staying connected to the street, understanding that you're building products for real people and that drive to want to win by helping others. That's what you need to be a great entrepreneur. And that's all that you need, but it's easier said than done. Um, you've had a lot of success in some of those troubled economies, right? So, so the be the hero mantra, um, seems to resonate. I feel like if you, um, if you didn't have your backstory, if you're, you know, venture funded business in Silicon Valley and, and you don't have the customer focus and, and, and some of this core grit that was developed in those war years, that kind of rings hollow, but, yeah. um, you've done business in Nigeria and, and, you know, throughout Africa and Venezuela, you know, tell, um, when did you, when did you have the aha moment that this was going to be big beyond just making, you know, a little bit of money for yourselves and and making some of these illiquid markets, because there must've been some inflection points when it went from, uh, okay, I'm able to make an honest living, uh, using this new technology to, I think this is going to be the biggest company in the world as, 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 as you put, right. What, what was that? Uh, was that switch? Was it early? Did it happen somewhere in kind of the next run up? Well, I failed 11 times, right? So, you know, those warriors were really hard for me. Like in, in the prime of my life, I was just like single, like working out of my, my mother's basement, a cafe. So it really did build a lot of grit. Paxful is 100% bootstrapped. We haven't taken a dime from anyone, thank God. That's why we can build schools in Africa. It's going to have VCs on the board breathing down our neck. But for me, I mean, the aha moment really came um, after that first phone call with the, the lady that wanted the, the big econ, the $10 with the big econ with the last 13 bucks. And she was mm-hmm. like, you know, when I helped her do all that, she was so happy, but she was still like, you know, she, I think she still cussed me out and said goodbye. And the, the next day she called me and thanked me profusely because I said, I basically saved her from getting evicted from her apartment and with her children. Mm-hmm. But right after that call and right after that call, another call came and like when, when I hung up with her and I was like, to my co-founder, I was like, man, we got some changes. Another, the phone like rung again. And again, it was this lady, a lady in Mexico city, actually that needed the same thing. And I was like, man, I was working on my Spanish trying to make that happen. But it was right there that I realized there is immense need from this. And it, it's people right here, you know, in our backyard, the first lady that called me, she was from Louisiana, right? White lady. Right. Mm-hmm. At that point I knew there was something there. And it really began to resonate with me uh, on an immense level when uh, we went to Africa about four years ago. And I saw mm-hmm. what was going on in South Africa. And Nigeria really struck me. I was, at that point, I was, I was uh, like talking to a lot of Africans. I'm African myself, actually. I was, I was born there, you know, so I mm-hmm. have a soft spot for Africa. And I wanted, to, I wanted to help the Africans. Like, how can Bitcoin help the African people? Right. And I, I didn't really understand. But, but, but by the way, I don't mean to cut you off there. I'm, I'm curious culturally um, how other Africans um, view Egypt. Do they do they view uh, when you go into a meeting in Nigeria, for instance, do they do they consider uh, Egypt out part of Africa or do they think more of it as Middle East? What, what are the kind of the regional differences? Because I know um, in those markets, they're, they're highly regionalized, highly localized in terms of how business actually gets done. Yeah, I mean, like Nigeria is a perfect example. It's actually four countries in one created mm-hmm. by the British 
the north you have the Fulani, they're like herdsmen, the Muslims in the south you have the Urba and the Igbo, Igbo are like great merchants, you know. Mm -hmm. Nigerians, you know, they're very interesting people, I have to say, they're one of the most amazing people I've ever met. They're a business acumen and hustle is legendary, and that's why I really focus on Nigeria. So me personally, when I step into a room over there, they look at me and then like, this has always happened in my life, they'll assume I'm white, right? Mm-hmm. And people usually assume I'm black. So, you know, I'm like, a, I'm just alienated everywhere. But, you know, I, I talk to them and I, I'm an African, you know, and I'm trying to help Africa. And that's all it takes. They're very warm people. You know, they, mm-hmm. they don't pass judgment once you see that you like them. You're one of them. And that's it. That's one of the things I love about Africans in general. Anyway, I, I cut you off, but I th- thought it was an important distinction to make because it, it caught my ear. Um, so you're in Nigeria. Does that become your, your largest market? How did you break things it down? Our and, market. As of right now, Nigeria is our largest. It's usually neck and neck with the United States, but I give it okay. to Nigeria. And Ghana too is, is really big for us as well. The, the Western Africa is huge for us at Paxful. And it's taught us, honestly, the, the peoples of Western Africa have, have pretty much taught us everything we know about the real true use cases of Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. Bitcoin is a universal translator for money. That is its killer app, not speculation, not the gray markets, not all this, you know, nonsense that's been happening for the past, you know, 10 years. Bitcoin, I'll say it again, is a universal translator and transporter of money. That's what peer-to-peer finance is. You can put in, you can go to Paxful, you can put in an Xbox gift card, we turn it into Bitcoin, and you can take that Bitcoin and turn it into a Walmart gift card by selling it to someone, or a PayPal deposit, or cash in Cambodia, or money in a bank account in the Philippines, or anything. Any form of money, we support 360 payment methods, can become any other form of money. Bitcoin is just the clearing layer. If we do our jobs right as builders in this scenario, Bitcoin should really be invisible in the process. Those people that don't want to send money back home, they don't, you know, BiggieCon is complicated. BiggieCon, BiggieCon, <laughs> it's complicated, right? Anyone that's ever used it from the eyes of an old person will know that. So we only support Bitcoin on Paxful because I am a Bitcoin maximal. I prefer the term optimalist. I don't like the term. Mm-hmm. Axel is I, I like Ethereum too. Nothing wrong with it. You know, so I'm not a fanatic, but I believe the world should focus on a central clearing layer and keep all the momentum there as for as long as possible. That is the key to actually making things stick. And I say this with all honesty. I mean, people ask, why don't you add other currencies? Crypto on Paxful, VCs ask us a lot all the time. I'm like, you know, you can't introduce something as complex as Bitcoin to these emerging markets and say, oh, but hold on, there's 67,000 other tokens over here. Like, this is not going to work. We need to focus on what the killer app of Bitcoin truly is. It's interesting. Um, I'm curious to hear if that changed at all in 2017 with the rise in fees, with the Bitcoin Cash hard fork and Segwit2x drama, because you have one of the rare businesses that had a ton of traction for peer-to-peer transactions Mm. and actual merchant adoption, whether you're talking about like an individual or, or, you know, who exactly that small merchant or individual is, it's still kind of the original Bitcoin use case that seemed to fall by the wayside for the Bitcoin core community for a while. Um, and as fees started to rise, you started to see, you know, the, the market triangulate around Lightning Network and, um, and layer two solutions for what I'd imagine is, is your, your primary use case, um, at least at that time. What happened in 2017? Did you think about Bitcoin Cash? Did you um, go all in on, on the Lightning Network and some of the, the experiments that were happening early on? Um, because... I don't think people can appreciate that this is this hard fork saga was a threat to the economics of your business. Um, is that is that fair to say? Because I I, just, I mean I just look at the fee market back then, and it seems obvious that that's the case. But I'm curious how you navigated that particular time period. All time highs on the one hand, all time highs in fees in the other. Yeah, the fees were really painful. Uh, our, you know especially for like Africans, Venezuelans, Indians, they had to pay those high wallet fees that, that's, that didn't work. We, we lost a lot out on fees because of that. Uh, that was the most painful part. But, you know, as also, here's an interesting thing about peer-to-peer. When the price of like is steady, it's great. 
when the price is going down, you'll actually have more vendors that want to sell Bitcoin. Peer to peer is worse when the price is going up. And what was happening to 17 was, was painful because the price was going up. Vendors were losing money. They didn't want to sell Bitcoin, right? And then you had all these super high fees for people to send out Bitcoin, right? Because of blockchain congestion. And that was kind of a very tough time for Paxwell, but it was a great time for all the ICO scammers. <laughs> but, you know, peer to peer is doing great. This is, uh, I believe we're entering now the golden age of peer to peer. You know, Bitcoin started out as peer to peer electronic cash and it's going to end peer to peer, peer to peer finance, people powered finance is where everything is going to go. And this golden age is upon us right now because once we recover from this Corona incident, right, I think you're going to start seeing a lot of people waking up to different ways of doing things, you know, whether it's barter, but it's definitely going to be peer to peer. There's going to be so much peer to peer happening, peer to peer, everything. You know, starting with Craigslist, Uber, Airbnb, the sharing economy, now, finally, this thing can affect all of finance, right? Because all the peer-to-peer -peer services in the world don't make sense without the glue that holds them together. And that glue is money, the exchange of value. So we are entering the golden age of peer-to-peer. -peer. I know I sound crazy saying this now, but if you compare the speculative, you know, limited, uh, continuous limit order book exchanges like Binance, Kraken, et cetera, right? And you compare their volume. Right, all the exchanges. So I remember the Bitwise report said anywhere from 96.4 to 99.7% of exchange volume is fake. Mm -hmm. Right? So let's assume that's true. Let's assume it's, it's 95%. Or let's assume 90% of it is fake. Right? You just take that 10% and compare it to the peer to peer volume, which is very, very hard to fake. Right? Maxwell doesn't take any volume. We don't botch trade. You can't do that in peer to peer. Right. You take that number and you compare it to the exchange number and you look at how the exchanges have been growing and you look at peer-to-peer's rate of growth. Within two years, we're going to have eclipsed them for real volume. And within four years, I think we'll have eclipsed even their watch trading volume. It's going to grow that exponentially. It was peer-to-peer. -peer, you know, it has a, you know, it jumps an order of magnitude later into the curve. That's how it's going to be. And it's all going to be based on real use cases, payments, um, e-commerce, remittance, and wealth preservation. And social good. That's the magical seventh use case. I, I think I agree with you directionally. Probably disagree about the timing. Um, you know, I, I'm, I, and, and this is probably why you, the, the, your, your take here is so contrarian, um, is the time comes to this. So I defer to your judgment. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. You're actually in the trenches. So, um, you know, it, it, it strikes me that yes, peer to peer volumes are going to continue to chip away at the, the, you know, central limit order book. Um, the thing that the variable that kind of throws it all off is the introduction of leverage and derivatives, right? Because those can be, you know, order of magnitude bigger than spot markets. Yeah. Regardless, I think, you know, most people um, that are bullish on decentralized exchange, peer-to-peer -peer exchange, um, do think that that is an inev inevitability once some of the technical and, and scaling challenges are, are solved, if they can be solved. Um, I'm, you know, personally in the camp that they, they can and will be. Um, and the reason I am is because you already have decentralized exchange dominating the market. And by that, I'm talking about Binance, which is a globally distributed company, right? It's, it's not like the New York Stock Exchange where you can just co-locate your servers, you know, wall to wall with the servers at the New York Stock Exchange and then, you know, front run trades as a market maker. You've already got, you know, the speed of light. Uh, acting as this great equalizer for a company like Binance that has servers all over the world and, and is, is not running this out of a central hub and has to maintain fairness and, and equity between its traders. So I think um, uh, if you extrapolate from that centralized example, which is somewhat decentralized compared to the legacy markets, it becomes a lot easier to think that you might be able to solve things like front running and, um, and the, the, uh, illiquidity of, of current, you know, peer to peer commerce. Um, I want to, uh, I want to go back to, uh, something else that you said, which is interesting that you don't believe that the gray market and speculative shenanigans are really, you know, where the action is. Um, obviously, you know, you're focused on utility versus, you know, just rampant speculation, but, the gray market um, comment is interesting because you have been very 
thoughtful about KYC AML as a peer-to-peer exchange. How do you do that? How do you get that balance right um, between accessibility and um, compliance? Because, you know, you have to run this business sustainably and not end up in jail for, you know, facilitating money laundering, which, which a lot of people are skating dangerously close to that line. Yeah. It's a great question, honestly. It's, it's the question facing us. We're living in the era of compliance right now. Things have changed. It's not the Wild West. It's not the, you know, Star Wars Cantina anymore, right? So mm-hmm. we have a top compliance team out of New York City. And it's an awesome team. Two people right now. We're federally licensed in the United States. We're the first peer-to-peer uh, exchange marketplace to apply for all the state licenses in the United States, right? So we've been applying for licenses. We're leading the way there. And that's all nice, right? So we can continue to do business. But the real, the real trick here is KYC. So we started KYC before any of the other peer-to-peer exchanges. Why? Because we knew we needed it. And not for compliance, honestly. We needed the KYC to mitigate fraud. Fraud, fraud, fraud is 10 times bigger and more dangerous than compliance or anything else. Even peer-to-peer, we are, you know, peer-to-peer, it's, it's all about the main value add is to mitigate fraud, right? And we operate in the some of the most uh, high fraud rate markets on the planet, uh, you know, India, China, Nigeria, it's extremely challenging, right? You ask me, why would you go into a market like that when PayPal and Coinbase both ran away, right? Well, there's a lot of reasons for that we can get into. I do love Africa and I believe the Nigerian people have the best chance of liberating Africa thanks to their vitality. And it's worth it to go in there to understand how to combat fraud. So KYC was one of the things we did. Before we thought about compliance, we were trying to figure out for KYC. We started a year before anyone else and we went in we discovered, hey, KYC is completely broken, completely, completely broken. It's, it's just junk. And I, I mean, don't mean to just pick packs with KYC. I mean, KYC in general, especially in the emerging world. I'll give you guys some examples. So first of all, Africans and people in the emerging world have no problem with KYC. They want a KYC badly. In Nigeria, you can't even get a SIM card for a phone unless you KYC with a biometric fingerprint scan, two of them. Right. And it's the same thing in Kenya as well. So the people of Africa don't mind KYC, but when they hear KYC, they flip out. Why? Because they know it's not going to work for them. Why? Because all the KYC work providers, whether it's Jumio, Onfido, et cetera, they might do a decent job in the West sometimes, but they have absolutely no skills in emerging markets. And even like uh, non-Latin alphabets, like uh, Russian, uh, you know, Cambodian, like they, they can't, the Chinese, they can't figure that out at all. Right. But in emerging markets, they have absolutely no localization whatsoever. Another example in Kenya, there is no such thing as proof of address. You know, all Kenyans are honest, good people. They want a KYC, but you ask, they see proof of address, they, they flip out, oh, I can't use this. And that's the thing. No one has bothered to go into these markets and actually get in the trenches there and figure out how to actually help people KYC. In Nigeria, there's five different types of national ID. We've customized our system to be able to handle all of them, built on top of Jumio. In Kenya, there's no proof of address. We had to do another proof of address schema. So... To, KYC is absolutely essential for this industry to get right. Absolutely essential. We can't shun it like the redheaded stepchild anymore. We have to embrace it and we have to go hard. So this is a call out to all the brilliant people in the space. I know there's some super geniuses out there. Uh, forget what you're doing and focus on solving the real problem. Help us solve KYC. We are currently now in the midst of building our own KYC solution within Paxful. Not because we want to, but because we have to. We're building it for ourselves just so we can onboard the entirety of the emerging world. So that was it for me from the heart. Um, yeah, fantastic. It, it, it just, it, it oozes. And, um, you know, I've, I've been around long enough where there is a very clear difference between the energy that some of the early Bitcoin adopters and, and enthusiasts have versus the ones that came in 2017. Right. Uh, that uh, and, and, you know, Amin Soleimani uh, out of you know, Ethereum and, and Moloch and, and Spankchain, um, he, uh, he made a, a famous example uh, when we were in a cab together about the, the core difference between Bitcoiners and Ethereans. And he compared it to the movie 300 and that scene where um, you've, you've got the Spartans and Leonidas points to the Athenians and says, Athenian, what is your profession? He says, I'm a potter. And he points to another one, you, oh, I'm a baker. And, and you know, kind of goes around the circle. And then he just turns, Spartans, what is your profession? And they're all, who, 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 right? Um, 
And it's, it's every single time I talk to someone from like Bitcoin in 2013, 2012, 2015, whatever it is, sometime before the big 2017 bull run, there's just a different vitality. And I wouldn't apply that to all Ethereum creators because obviously those that built Ethereum were very early in the, in the Bitcoin realm as well. But um, it is refreshing and, and uh, it, it kind of shows why you guys have been successful at, uh, at brute forcing a use case where um, use cases outside of mere speculation are, are you know, few and far between, um, at least you know, so far. Um, there's, a, there's one other you know, kind of major partnership that I want to talk about. Um, you have spent quite a bit of time on various initiatives with Binance. What, what has that been like uh, working with them? Because um, you look as an outsider at, at Binance and all you see is announcement after announcement, product after product, you know, uh, toward expansion. And, um, and, and the open question, I think, is how, how well do they play with others, right? Are they just kind of gradually absorbing all business? Um, or, you know, are they, you know, a, a good steward and, and an excellent partner, you know, particularly, you know, in your case, it seems like you're a perfect um, case study for how uh, you might be able to successfully work with, collaborate with uh, the 800-pound gorilla globally in Binance. How do you think about them as a partner and, and how did this, uh, this initial partnership come to fruition? I have a lot of respect for them. Uh, they are uh, amazing executors. They move at turbo speed, and you have to match their mm -hmm. speed. You know, that's the thing. We managed to match their speed, which I was, uh, I was really impressed by our team for being able to do that. So were they. Those guys move fast, and they execute. You know? So uh, how it came to be, well, uh, it actually started in Africa. Uh, at the first school that we built in Rwanda, in Bugusera Village. Uh, Bugusera Village is where the uh, genocide in Rwanda started over 20 years ago. We decided to build our first two schools there, an elementary school and a nursing school uh, from ages uh, baby to 13, with water wells, a clinic, uh, farm, you know, give the kids uniforms, pay for the health insurance. Anyway, those are our first two schools. And uh, I had a special guest one day. Her name was uh, Athena. Athena works for Binance. Um, she wanted to come visit and see what we were doing. She heard about Built with Bitcoin. That's what we call it. And she was really impressed. So we hung out and she met the children and it was, she saw me dance. You know, and we became friends. And uh, I think a couple months later, she reached out to me, but she was at that point helping with uh, the corporate social responsibility, social good with Binance. And then she got transferred, I believe, to uh, Fiat on-ramping. And then she decided to contact me about our kiosk product, which was actually serving some already some big exchanges. It had uh, probably done the most business. It was moving all of the gift card volume for all those use cases for a long time. And all it was is just a simple little button you can put on your website or wallet or exchange that lets people buy Bitcoin through Paxful using any payment method. Right, so it's just the way. It's a very uh, powerful, versatile fiat on uh, on ramp. So we talked, and she said, "Yeah, can you get this going for Binance?" I'm like, "Sure," and we made it happen. So with Binance, you have to uh, you have to be laser focused. Those guys don't play around. They are very driven, very very aggressive. They keep the momentum strong, and I'm very impressed with how they execute. They're real entrepreneurs. I've never seen anything like it, honestly. Uh, I asked CZ personally, like, how do you do it, man? What's your superpower? I know that he's a very good judge of character. That's number mm -hmm. one. So you just bring on the right people. Uh, I also know they're very good with their logistics, right? Like they're able to, to maneuver very quickly and make the whole remote thing work. And that's giving them another edge in this time. So yep. it's really amazing. It's like a perfect storm of so many things came together to put that as an entrepreneur. I'm amazed. Uh, CC, CZ is a, Super alpha, super alpha male kind of guy. You know, he, he's not the kind of guy that will, will, will just like let something lie there if he can build on it, take it and make it work, right? So mm -hmm. you have to be ready for that. <laughs> I'm a much, much nicer guy by comparison. I'm very, you know, <laughs> work with everybody. CZ's amazing though, man. He just executes and just goes, goes, goes. It's, it's impressive. What um what are what are some of the things that uh, you hope to accomplish together in uh, Africa in particular? Is, is this something that you view as a long term integration, um, or is this a stepping stone for you know Binance to ultimately get you know country by country access and, and more you know formal relationships? How do you think about you know sitting alongside them and, and their other solutions for uh, the super long term? 
Yeah, I think we'll get along just fine. CZ said the same thing. So Binance is very ambitious. They just launched peer-to-peer trading on their own platform now. Mm-hmm. Uh, all users supporting four payment methods. You know, CZ made no uh, secret of that. You know, and we knew that was coming. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's great. The more people to join our peer to peer fellowship, the better, because the truth is to make this work in all these countries, we need um, immense education. Right. So I'll give you guys um, some background on Africa. So last year we did a Paxil campus tour at uh, uh, in two countries, Kenya and South Africa and like eight different universities. And I learned a lot. We gave away one Bitcoin at each school, spread out even students, of course, not one Bitcoin per student. And uh, I spoke in front of like, I think, 2,000 people at one point. Mm-hmm. And I learned so much. First of all, you guys have to know that uh, the first thing I did uh, when I got in front of the crowd is I asked them, how many people here have been scammed or know someone that's been scammed in a multi-level mining scam that asked for Bitcoin? Half the room raised half the room or more and ask a second question how many people here have lost money in bitcoin mining again like maybe one third of the room raised their hand and how many people here have um, tried to day trade bitcoin and lost and again like half the room raised their hand so ask how many people have had a good experience uh, with Bitcoin and made money with it. And literally, I think two guys raised their hands and they were both Paxful traders, right? So the image of Bitcoin in Africa is horrific, right? It's bad. It's always known about scams because the, the truth is like African people are, they're not scammers. They get scammed. They get preyed upon by scammers from all over the world. It's a scammer in their own continent or people from the outside, right? They've been getting scammed constantly. And when they think about Bitcoin, they think about scams, right? So we managed to speak to them and really, uh, you know, learn a lot from them. And they also, they listened to us. I mean, we had so much interest, our Paxful Peer program, which we modeled after the Binance Angels program, proven tremendously successful. So these folks are willing to learn, right? And that's, Ultimately, that's what, you know, I mean, Jack Dorsey, um, which is an amazing guy, by the way. I'm like his biggest fan ever now after what he did last year. This dude took off four months from being CEO of two unicorns to tour Africa on the streets and talk to real entrepreneurs, not with the intent of going in there and uh, penetrating the market, but uh, just to talk to them, just to like work with them. So, I mean, so impressive, right? So four years ago, I did that when I went to Africa. And the thing that made me realize, hey, this is the place. It, it wasn't, you know, all the talk about the natural resources in the ground or, or even the population growth or, or any of that. It was the people. It's the, the natural resources in their heads. There's so many bright, ambitious, brilliant, young entrepreneurs there that are just looking for a path and a way up. And now we finally have a way to give it to them. Because when you look at the limitations that the average African faces, especially when it comes to money, you wonder how they're not dead. Like, honestly, imagine living with, imagine living with a, a, a wallet full of you know, debit cards that only limited you to spending a hundred dollars a month online. Mm-hmm. That's the reality for so many people in Africa. Even if they have money in the bank, they won't want to spend more than a hundred bucks online a month with their car. They can't send money out of the country. It's nearly impossible. Like Nigeria, it's almost impossible to send money to the African country next door in Africa. It's so bad. And that's with the banks, but it's so bad that even the, the African uh, mobile wallets like uh, M-Pesa in Kenya, right? M-Pesa in Kenya, okay, there's also M-Pesa in Ghana, right? But you can't send money from M-Pesa, from an M-Pesa Kenya account to an M-Pesa Ghana account. Do you believe that? Mm-hmm. So the whole country, the whole continent is completely balkanized. And when I said, hey, these people are brilliant, they're ready to go. If we can just restore the flow of their money, I mean, Africa is going to make up for so much lost time. It's going to come back. Like it's going to be the ultimate underdog story. I believe that with my heart completely. And we have all in on Africa. And this is when people are telling me I was crazy. Whenever I told people, yeah, Africa is the future for crypto. They literally laugh in my face. I remember at conferences would happen. They said, oh man, how are people making $2 a day? What are they going to do with Bitcoin? Right? Well, the African people taught us everything we know about peer-to-peer finance and what it's actually good for. So, and I think it seems that Jack agrees. And I think in 2020, even more people will agree. They'll start seeing that Africa and the emerging world truly is the future for crypto. 
And, and this uh, coronavirus crisis could be an accelerant for that for, for a couple of different reasons. One, um, you would expect if there are currency crises, the, the biggest impacts, most negative impacts are going to be in emerging market cur- uh, uh, currencies. So you're going to have more liquid currency markets. You're going to have a, a greater need for some um, stable, non-government-tied reserve asset that, that can help people transport value. Um, and the other thing that I think you made a point of, uh, at least in, uh, from what I remember in an interview earlier this week, um, perhaps Africa goes back to normal sooner because they already have less infrastructure in some cases, not to be morbid, but they are already used to higher uh, mortality rates in general um, in many respects. So, so this could arguably be less disruptive in, in some senses. Um, and, uh, and, and so far, at least, has not proven to be particularly contagious just yet in most African countries. That could change. It likely will. But, um, but so far, it's, it's, it's been relatively muted in terms of its impact compared to Western countries, major cities, um, and, uh, and some of the urban uh, centers where there's you know, significantly more travel to and from those, those, those epicenters on an international trade basis. Um, do you... Um, how do you how do you think about uh, support for other currencies? You mentioned you're a Bitcoin maximalist, but you introduced gold. Yeah, optimalist. Yeah, optimalist. yeah. So we introduced gold, silver, diamonds. Uh, I actually bought a car, uh, a little red mini Cooper, for my wife on Paxful as well. So we're adding a lot of other payment methods uh, besides just financial payment methods. Um, and that, well, they're not payment methods in that sense. It's more like a marketplace. And the reason we're doing that, again, it's our value number one, staying connected to the streets, right? A lot of Paxful users were actually making these trades already on Paxful. They just used one of our payment methods like PayPal, and they would just start up conversations. And the next thing you know, they're doing trades and they're, they're trading motorcycles or, or services or things like that. And gold especially has become really popular in the past like month especially on packs and we saw it happening and it was just disguised as other trades. Right. And we're like, Oh wow. Okay. If people really want this, if they're finding a way to work around the system, do it, then let's give them what they want. So I think you're going to see a lot more interesting gold in this time because of Corona. A lot of people are beginning to question the narratives they've always been fed and they're seeking other uh, resources to limit their exposure to fiat. Right and to always ensure that they have uh, spending power. So sky's the limit there. We have some really big plans here at Paxful, including starting up a marketplace as well, because we're getting requests constantly right now for all these new uh, features, adding new products, new liquidity. And there's so many amazing crypto marketplaces out there like OpenBazaar, CoinMall, Krypton Market, et cetera. We can all work together to get their inventory to more people and to give all these Africans a way they can actually shop online because you can't go to Amazon. Right? It doesn't ship to them if you're a fraud or whatever, et cetera. But if we can actually give them the power to spend their money and actually bring in things from the outside in a way that's a lot easier, it'll help the entire country develop much faster, the entire continent, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a fascinating story. Uh, I think in terms of the uh, conversations that I've had, the, the, the different applications and products that get me excited. Uh, I, I hear you on uh, staying close to the streets because some of us, you know, got into this for, you know, greed and, and at least a little bit of, you know, speculative euphoria in 2011, 2012, some for, you know, kind of crypto anarchist reasons, um, a good chunk for uh, social reasons and and you know what could this look like as we you know try to propel humanity forward um and i'd probably put myself in equal parts all three buckets right i'm 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 a greedy motherfucker um i you know saw the the worst parts of the financial crisis in the u.s and you know kind of western you know government governance uh experiments um but at the same time you know the job that i had before getting into bitcoin full-time was running a, a charitable tech startup so um i think uh talking to folks that, that have that DNA, um, they tend to be the best salesmen um, and, and the best proponents and, and, you know, best kind of viral super spreaders, if we'll, we'll use a current term, uh, for actual Bitcoin utility, actual Bitcoin adoption and, and getting other people excited about it beyond just, you should have a little portion of this in your portfolio because it's an uncorrelated asset, blah, blah, blah. You know, that, that plays well to investors, but 
there's no sex appeal there um, outside of yeah. like the, the typical Wall Street uh, community. Yeah, I mean, we have to, so the long-term case for Bitcoin is actually being validated right now, right? That, mm-hmm. hey, it might restore value, you know, when everything collapses. Okay, I think that's going to take a little more time. I don't think uh, Corona is going to completely destroy the U.S. dollar and you know, all the prepper stuff may have to wait a little longer, but who knows, right? The short-term case is speculation in gray markets, right? But there's no medium-term case for Bitcoin. And this is the thing that's keeping the uh, institutional like investors out, the big money out. Because like, you're talking about this long-term thing with all these conspiracy theories about the U.S. dollar. Eh, it's great markets and it's pure speculation. No, they're not going to go for that. There needs to be a medium-term case for Bitcoin. That's what peer-to-peer finance is. is you can actually use this not as an investment, but as a means of exchange, as a clearing layer to move and convert any form of money in the world so that anyone, any where it can access any financial network on the planet. Like imagine some African, he's got cash, he's got a gift card, he gets on the Paxwell, turns it into Bitcoin. From there, he can literally make a payment to any bank account on the planet in the ACH American system, this European CEPA system, wherever. He can set in cash anywhere in the world. He can, he can use Alipay at that point. He can make a PayPal deposit. All he has to do is sell his Bitcoin. And he can access any financial network on the planet. And that's the beautiful thing about Bitcoin. It destroys all the walled gardens in finance. It really is the universal translator of money. Amen. Well, I think that's as good a place to leave it as any. Um, uh, Ray, it's been a pleasure finally speaking with you. I know um, we've, uh, we've wanted to do this for a while. So thanks for joining uh, this episode. And, and hopefully we'll have you on again soon. Uh, for another major update, given the growth trajectory you guys are on, and the fact that as as you put the um, the tailwinds right now for Bitcoin, for this as a use case for the emerging market thesis, it's all coming together. Uh, so I, I think we we all expect a big decade ahead for Paxful as you be march towards becoming the largest company in the world. Yeah, exactly. God willing, and it's going to be led really by the emerging markets. Imagine all these people, these. 4 billion humans that the entire world ignored coming to the salvation of the West. <laughs> that would be something, right? <laughs> uh, it'd be, it'd be a, a beautiful, beautiful fairy tale ending. Um, Ray, thanks again for joining us and everybody that is watching, listening. Thank you for tuning in until next time. Stay safe. Be good. Peace. That's a wrap. Thanks for listening. New episodes of Unqualified Opinions go live weekdays at noon Eastern time. You can follow me in the meantime on Twitter at 2BitIdiot if you want to continue the conversation or troll me. Otherwise, I'll see you next week.